Okay, so we're holding in the beginning of Shema Yisrael on page 46, if you have the regular city that I have, which I think everyone has the same city here tonight. So page 46, which is Shema Yisrael. We began talking about it last week, but we'll review a little bit and continue from there. Last week is, last week, right? Yeah, class last week, right. Okay. Um, so we spent... We spent a lot of time to the lead-up to Shema, which was all the Birchus Kriya Shema, as we discussed many times. And then we come to Shema Yisrael, which is the, um, the center of davening in many ways, and it's the, the mitzvahs, the great mitzvahs of davening. Um, we began dis- discussing that this pasuk itself, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, is the source for a very foundational mitzvah in the, in the Torah, and that is the mitzvah of Achdus Hashem, right? We mentioned last week that there is two primary mitzvahs about our belief in Hashem. One is the mitzvah of Emunah, that we believe in Hashem. And Emunah is learned from the first one of the Aserah Sadibris, Anoichi Hashem Alekecha. That's the mitzvah to believe in God. Um, the truth is, even the mitzvah of belief in God really is two parts. It's a two-part mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to believe in God and a mitzvah to know about Hashem as much as we can to understand about Hashem's existence. But that's all about emunah. And then there's the mitzvah of the belief in the oneness of Hashem. And that's what this Pasuk is referring to. Shema Yisrael. We call out to all Kala Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God, Hashem Echad, Hashem is one. And I mentioned that there is a number of different ways to understand what is this mitzvah of Achtus Hashem. What exactly is the mitzvah to do when we talk about the oneness of Hashem? So in short, so far we talked about two ways. The basic halachic way and the way that the Zayhar explains. The basic halacha is the simple way, which is that Hashem operates Himself without any partners. The word in Hebrew is shituf, or shutaf, which is a partner. Um, and that is that even though Hashem has many agents through which He gives us what we need, is it the last number you called here? So even though we believe that Hashem has many agents, even though we know, So even though we know that Hashem has many agents, like the, the um, light comes through the sun and, um, and rain comes from the sky and so on and so forth, but nevertheless we believe that none of those have any say in the matter. The words the Chazal use is that they are kegarzan biyad hachoitzev. Garzan is an axe in the hand of a woodchopper. So if you have a woodchopper, it chops wood with an axe. So someone start praising the axe, that it's such a wonderful axe, and asking the axe to do a better job. So we look at all of the agents of Hashem like they're direct um, tools that Hashem uses. And therefore there's no reason to uh, thank them or to praise them or to uh, do anything for them because they're only tools. Um, and as I said, that was the, the first idolaters started with attributing significance to Hashem's agents. That was um, Enosh, who was a grandson of Adam Arishan. And he started attributing significance. They're Hashem's agents, so we should uh, praise them, and we should dab into them, and so on and so forth. So the mitzvah of Achtos Hashem, in the simplest level, halachic level, 
is the prohibition for a Yid to believe that there's any power to any of the agents that Hashem uses in creation. That's the simplistic, halachic idea of Achtos Hashem. The Zohar talks about something much deeper and talks about the idea that in this passage we have Hashem and Elokeinu. And these refer to different midas that Hashem uses. Typically, the name Hashem, which is Yud Kevavke, reflects the midah of Rachamim, which is Hashem's mercy. And Elokim is Hashem's severity. So there's, which is Din, which is judgment. Um, so there's Hashem's kindness, there's Hashem's severity. Um, other times we call them Hashem's revelation and Hashem's concealment. They're directly connected. Would you say the revelation is Midas Arachamim? Yes. And the concealment is For sure, Midas? for sure. Um, the revelation is Midas Arachamim. And where Hashem is merciful and kind and revealing. And judgment conceals. Judgment is, uh, is um, more severity and more concealment. So Hashem operates with these two primary midos of His, which are really chesed and givura. It's all the same idea. Chesed, givura, um, rachamim. Teva, nature, versus nisim, miracles. It's the same two ideas. Miracles is an um, expression of Hashem's revelation. And nature is an expression of Hashem's concealment, right? So when we're saying Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, in essence what we're saying is that the different midos of Hashem are really 100% unified. Although they feel different and they seem different. Here it's Hashem operating using chesed. Here it's Hashem operating using givura. Um, here it's Hashem operating with miracles. Here it's Hashem operating with nature. Hashem Echad means that these are like two parts of the oneness of Hashem. They're not contradictory to each other. They're not in any way um, separate entities. They're two expressions, two koiches of Hashem that are perfectly unified in Hashem. Um, I don't think I mentioned last week, there's a very interesting uh, concept. Um, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we had Avram and Yitzchak, the parashiyas of the weeks. Now we're really on to Yaakov already. But Avram and Yitzchak, so Avram always represents chesed, which is kindness, and Yitzchak represents severity. A couple of parshas ago, we had an interesting parsha. began the words, Ela told us Yitzchak ben Avram, Avram holy this Yitzchak. So Rashi says, why, why the double expression? Yitzchak, the son of Avram, Avram um, begat Yitzchak. So Rashi says that Hashem made that Yitzchak should look exactly like Avram. The exact image is Avram. Why? Because people were saying, that Avram and Sarah were married for so many years and they didn't have any children. Suddenly Sarah is taken to Avimelech and suddenly she has a son. So you always have the uh, sensationalists. And they were saying, no, Yitzchak must be Avimelech's son, not Avram's. So what does Hashem do? He makes Yitzchak a spitting image of his father Avram. And no one, everyone knows this is Avram's son. That's the story of the marriage. So in the Sikhs, the Rebbe asks a question. He says, it sounds like Hashem did a big miracle and made Yitzchak look like Avram. It's not so uncommon that a child should look like his parent. Why is it like this special thing that Hashem made Yitzchak look like Avram? Many times children look like their father. It doesn't sound like such a big nace, something so unusual. And the Rebbe explains that the way a person looks really expresses deeper who they are. Their midah is the type of person that they are. So really being that Yitzchak was the midah of Givura and Avram was the midah of Chesed, they should have looked different. Because the external expressions do express, um, the external features, that is, express the type of person and the midas within the person. 
So really, Yitzchak should not have looked like Avram because Yitzchak was Givura and Avram is Chesed. And yet Hashem made them look in the same way. Why? How? If it's two separate Midas, how can they look the same way? Because really, Chesed and Givura of Kedusha are one and the same. And that's the idea of Hashem Elokeinu. Just like by Hashem. Hashem's Chesed and Hashem's Givura. Hashem's revelation and Hashem's concealment. Hashem's nature and supernatural are really one and the same. They're two koiches, two powers of Hashem, but they're fully unified. So by Avram and Yitzchak was also the same. Even though Avram represented Chesed and Yitzchak represented Gvura, but it was Chesed and Gvura of Hashem. Hashem's Chesed always has within it the severity as well. Hashem's Gvura always has within it Chesed as well. They're not two separate things. It's like, like a parent with a child. When a parent expresses severity towards a child, does the parent not love the child? Of course they love the child. The severity is actually an expression of their love. It's just using a different, a different face, if you will. So that's, coming back here, that's what the Zayar says is Hashem Elikim. The, the unification of the different midas of Hashem. So, so by Yitzchak, it wasn't a miracle or something? No, it was really, it was a miracle. Because being that Yitzchak's primary um, midah was Gevura, and Avram's primary midah was Chesed, so it should have expressed itself that way in their faces as well. But being that they were Chesed and Gevura of Kedusha, what Hashem did was that He showed us that in Hashem's world, even the Gevura is an expression of His Chesed. Even the Chesed is an expression of His Gevura. So even Yitzchak, who, has the fa- who really should have the face of Gevura, can be the face of Chesed as well. It's not a contradiction when we're talking about Yitzchak and Abraham. To take that just one last step, here's an interesting question. If Yitzchak and Avram have to look the same, so there's two ways that that could happen. One is that Avram should look like Yitzchak, and one is that Yitzchak should look like Avram. Right? If you have two people, two faces, and one face has to reflect the other, so you can go either way. Avram could look like Yitzchak, or Yitzchak could look like Avram. Which one did Hashem do? He made Yitzchak look like Avram. Why? It's on a simple level because Avram was older. Right. He was around longer. But on a deeper level, because if we have two faces, two sides of Gevura and Chesed, which way do we want to look? Chesed. In other words, Gevura is important and Chesed is important. But the way we want to be seen, our primary expression, the way we want to be remembered, our image. known, our image should be Chesed. Though Chesed without Gevura is no good. We need Gevura. But nevertheless, in general, our image we want to be a chesed one, not a givura one. So you have Yitzchak and Avram. When they both have to look the same, they're both going to look like Avram, not both going to look, look like Yitzchak. Can I ask a question? Yes, sir. Okay, so we know that Avraham uh, was a manifestation of the Mita of, of chesed, of his loving kindness and his, all his mitzvahs he did. Outside of the Akedah, what did Yitzchak do that was connotes uh, givura? Okay, this is a good question. It's a broad question. Um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you quickly two things. One thing is, Yitzchak, for example, never left the land of Israel. Because he was, uh, he was like a partner. Right. But what does that mean? Avram was just everywhere. He was just giving and, and going and spreading to everyone, all types of people, all types of lands. Yitzchak expressed, no, this is holiness. Holiness that doesn't go elsewhere. You want to connect, you come to me. That's severity. Chesed says that holiness, I'll go out to wherever it is Sounds and wherever like it is. 
<laughs> Whatever. Every, everything, again, everything has to have both. But Chesed says, I spread everywhere. Gvura says, no, this is the truth. You have to come here. It makes boundaries. Right, boundaries and the severity. That's why what was Yitzchak's primary avoda in the Torah was well digging. What's the idea of well digging? Not that if I need water, I'll pour water somewhere. I'm going to make. I'm going to work with that land till the land reveals its own water, right? Right, like a severe teacher who doesn't just teach and teach and teach. It makes the student come up with it on their own. He Severity. Had, he still had to dig it. I understand, but digging means I'm not giving you water. Digging means I'm going to help you find the water within yourself. That's like, again, we have two teachers. We have one teacher just teaches and gives and gives and gives and gives. Wonderful, beautiful. Another teacher is the severe teacher, the tough one. I'm not telling you the answer. You're going to work with it. You're going to find it. Take you, it will take you longer. You're going to find it from within. That's givur. So Yitzchak's physical occupation of well-digging was an expression of his midah of severity, of not giving, but rather calling it out from within. Okay, these were the two um, explanations of Achdus Hashem that we discussed last week. Which brings us to the third explanation, which is the explanation of Hasidus. Hasidus dwells on this mitzvah of Achdus Hashem tremendously. Like Maimorim and Maimorim and Maimorim discourses and discourses on the concept of understanding Achdus Hashem. In fact, the second section of Tanya it's called Shar Hayichud Vahayamuna. It's the gate of understanding the oneness and the belief in the oneness of Hashem. So there's a, there's a vast amount of Hasidus on the concept, but I just want to talk about the, the very basic idea. In that part of Tanya, Shar Hayichud Vahayamuna, the Alter Rebbe um, bases it on a Pasuk. Um, really, on the Pasuk of, we say in Aleinu, we say, Vyadaita Hayyim. We should, uh, we should know and take to heart. God is Hashem is Elokim. the heavens above, mitachas, and the earth below. Ain od. There's nothing but Hashem, which is also a pasuk in the Torah portion of Vaeschanan, just like Shema. Shema is in Vaeschanan. Ayem is also in Vaeschanan. Chassidus zooms in on two words of that pasuk. Ain od. That there's nothing but Hashem. Is it Einod Nuvado or is There's two psukim. The one that I'm referring to just says Einod. There's another pasuk that says Einod Nuvado. That's correct. But the one, Vedaita Yom, is just Einod. So Hasidah says, in a nutshell, what does Achtus Hashem mean? Not that there's only one Hashem. Not even that the different parts of Hashem are one. But rather that Hashem is the only entity. The only reality. The only reality is Hashem. And everything else that we see is merely an expression of Hashem. That's in a nutshell what Hasidah says. So let's just let's just see very clearly. Like let's put put these three ideas side by side. Halacha says, "What does Achdus Hashem mean? That there's only one Hashem. He doesn't have partners in running the world." The Zohar says that the different facets of Hashem are all one. Hasidah says there's only one entity, period. And everything else is an expression of that entity. Now, this is not an argument between these three opinions of Halacha and Zohar and Hasidus. These are three levels in reaching the depth of understanding what Achtus Hashem is. But what does that mean when Hasidah says that there's nothing but Hashem? Everything's only an expression of Hashem. What does that mean? So, in Tanya, the Altar Rebbe tells us like this. 
There's a pasuk that says in Tehillim, "La'olam Hashem Dvarcha Nitzav Bashamayim." I'm pretty sure this is in Kufi Yates, in 119 in Tehillim. It says, "La'olam Hashem Always Hashem, Your words are standing in the heavens." What does that mean? That Hashem's words are always standing in the heaven. Says the Alter Rebbe, we'll understand that with another pasuk. The pasuk says. Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Naasu. With words, Hashem created the heavens. The truth is, with words, Hashem created everything. Right? We say in Pirkei Avos, Ba'asara Mamaris Nivr Ha'olam. With ten utterances, Hashem created the world and everything within it. So Hashem created the world with words. That's part one. The world was created with words. Part two is, Those words are always there in creation. What does that mean? That the words with which Hashem created the world are always there in creation. So what Hasidah says, based on the Baal Shem Tov, that is, that it's not as if Hashem did a one-time job. He said, let there be light, and now there is light. Or let there be the sky, or let there be the earth, or let there be water, and that's it. But rather, that energy that created heaven and earth and everything in between the first time is constantly flowing into heaven and earth and keeping it in creation, keeping it in in circular, keeping it going. Meaning, and, and again, this is a very important point that Alter Rebbe makes and argues. He says that creation is not a one-time thing; creation is a constant. The flow of energy that's needed to create is constant. Why? Why is that? Why isn't it like Hashem, Hashem said that there be? And it is. Why, why does it require the constant recreating force? <clears throat> For example, when we create something in this world, um, someone makes this table. So they're not here always creating the table. They made it and it's done. It's here. So why when Hashem created the world, does creation have to be constant? So they're still connected to Hashem? Okay, that, that might be that may be a reason why he wanted to do it that way. But what's the proof, so to, so to speak? In other words, why does it have to be that way? If, when we know creation, again, this table was made, this chair was made, this house was built, the builder who built this house left, and he's gone. He might pass away, he might go to sleep, he goes, goes to a different country. He's not involved anymore. Why is it that when Hashem created the world, the world is always dependent on the, initial, on, on the continuous creation? Says the Alter Rebbe in that first chapter of Shariyuch Vemuna. Says the difference is very, very simple. All creation that we know of is, he calls it in Hebrew, yesh mi yesh. Oh, yeah. Which means one entity from another. No one ever changed something. In other words, this house was before wood or plaster or whatever. It was some form of matter and it was the matter was formed in a different way. But nothing new was created. So if matter is only formed, the matter existed before the house was put together. It exists afterward. The builder, all the builder really is, is a former. He's forming matter from one form into another. When you're forming something from A to B, the existence of it never had to do with you in the first place. When you create something new and different, yesh me'ayin, then it in itself has no existence without you pumping that existence. What's the example the Altar Rebbe brings in Tanya for that? 
This is the Alter Rebbe's example that he uses is from one of the most famous stories of the Chumash, which is Kriyas Yamsov. What happens? The Jewish people have to go through the water. Hashem takes the winds and he parts the water and the Jewish people walk through the sea on the seventh day of Pesach. What happens at the end of the night? When Does Hashem have to do a miracle and make the water go back? What does the Pasuk say? The wind that was holding up the water was removed, stopped blowing, and the water, what's the word? Um, just came back, collapsed. Why did Hashem have to make a new nace for the water to come down? He made a nace for the water to stand up. Why didn't there have to be a new nace for the water to come down? Why there did or didn't have Why did there not have to be a new nace for the water to come down? Well, he didn't stop the wind, though. Okay, so the wind was blowing, he took it away. But the water didn't keep on standing once the wind moved away. Why didn't the water keep on standing once the wind moved away? Says El Rebbe, because the nature of water is not to stand. When I change something's nature, it's only going to be changed as long as I'm changing it. The second I stop changing it, it reverts back to its initial nature. That's a basic law of logic. When I'm changing something's nature, it doesn't become something new. It just held there as long as I'm holding it up. Once I remove the power holding it up, it goes back to its initial nature, which is initial nature, if it's water, is to flow, not to stand up straight. The idea being, when you change something's nature, it's yeshmeyayim. It's something new. This nature is not to be that way. If it's not to be that way, I have to hold it up in order for it to stay. Hasidus gives a different example. This example of Kriyas Yamsuf is from Tanya. In the Memorial of Hasidus, they say another example. Perhaps Kriyas Yamsuf happened once a long time ago. Some of us might not remember it. Hasidus says a simpler example. If you throw a ball in the air, how long is it going to go up? Until gravity pulls it down. Well, there was gravity all the time. Well, it depends how hard you push it. As, as soon as your energy that's holding up the ball finishes. So if you threw it very strong or a little strong, if you're you know, a powerful throw or not. But the second your energy is gone, straight back down. Why? It's against the nature of a ball or a stone or whatever to fly. If it's against this nature to fly, it doesn't turn into a flying stone just because I threw it. So as long as my energy is there, it keeps on going. I take the energy away, it falls down. Says the Alter Rebbe, the same thing is with creation. Just like it's not within the nature of water to stand, and it's not within the nature of balls to fly, it's not within the nature that this world should exist. Before existence, this world didn't exist. There was no nature for this world to exist. So how long will the world exist? As long as the divine energy is telling it to exist. And that's what the Pasuk means. La'ilam Hashem dvarcha nitzav bashamayim. Those words that you said, Yehirakia, you said, may there be a firmament, or a sky, or an earth, those words are constantly there. They're like the energy holding the ball going, keeping the sky going, keeping the earth going, keeping everything happening. That energy is a constant, that those words are constantly revitalizing every part of this world. And that's what it means. Once you understand that, the concept of Ashkacha Pratis, Hashem Nitzav Bashamayim. 
forever Hashem. Your words are standing in the heavens. Okay. Right? So if if, um, if you could create something. Where is that? That's on Tehillim. If you can create something where you have the sky and you have the, the divine words, Yehirakia, there should be a sky, and you're able to see those words, Yehirakia, in the sky. That's what we're learning. Okay, just an idea. But um, if you have those, so, so that, that's what it means. What about if you see a rainbow in the sky? <laughs> it's almost like a message, too. That's another message. That's another message. Now, once we understand that, the Balshamta's idea of Ashkocha Pratis, that every detail is exact from Hashem, is obvious. Because Hashem didn't create the world once upon a time and then took a nap. The, the creation is an ongoing, is an ongoing concept. Now. Wait. So, Rabbi Silverberg, um, but even a yesh meyesh was a yesh meyayin once upon right. a time. That's correct. So really, everything is being kept up. Correct. Even this table that Without was made a by a human being. For sure. For sure. What I meant was, there's the matter of this table and the form of this table. The human beings change the form of the table. That, that change of form that the human being did, we don't need the human being to be around for anymore. Because he didn't really change the essence of it. The fact that the table exists is Hashem's power making it exist. That's before it was made into a table and after it was made into a table equally. Because before this was a table form, it was a different form. So there is Hashem's energy that's keeping this table in creation. Then a human being came and tinkered with it. So he changed the form from one form to another form. That wasn't a real change. So that doesn't have to be a constant. But the existence of the table or the chair or the light or everything that we see is because it's constantly receiving energy from Hashem. Now. Isn't everything Hashem? For sure. For sure it is. Without a doubt. Is it really right to say energy from Hashem? Is it like really energy, divine energy from Hashem? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, once we un- once we understand that, so now becomes the question: So, what's the real existence of the table? Now, the, basically, what all of this idea leads to is a, is a very important point: that the world, no aspect or detail of the world, is an independent entity. It's only an expression of divine energy that's keeping it going. That's what it is. It's not its own thing. It's divine energy that's making it go. Take that that stone that's flying through the air. Is it a flying stone really? No. There is energy of a person who's propelling it. Everything that we see is the energy of Hashem propelling it into existence. Whether it's a table or a chair or a house or a car or a tree or the sky or the sun or the moon or the stars, we see a physical body of something. What is it really? Divine energy that's keeping it in existence. Now, I'm not well versed in science, but I've been told by many that now that we understand scientifically that everything can be broken down to the atoms and what put in the molecules and what, what puts it together, these concepts of chsidus are a lot more... Um, explainable to anyone because we understand that even though we see the sun or we see a table really comes a scientist and says that's not a table that's just a million atoms or a billion or a trillion that are working together in a certain way to seem this way but really when you break it down it's something that you can't really see with your eye so what 
what Chassidah said, and really what David HaMelech said in Tehillim, is that everything in this world is really an expression of a divine energy. And that is the Hasidic meaning to a Pasuk, which says, Ein od, or Ein od milvado. Ein od, or Ein od milvado. Again, those are two Pesukim, both in the Torah portion of Vayeschana. Both are saying the same thing. There's nothing here, nothing, nothing aside from Hashem. But there is, look. We're all here, it's a house, everything, so many beautiful things. What do you mean there's nothing aside from Hashem? What we're saying is that everything that we are seeing is merely an expression of divine energy. It's divine energy in this form and divine energy in that form and divine energy in the other form. It's divine energy in a billion forms, in a trillion forms. Even things that are bad? Everything. Everything is a form of divine energy. Nothing in this world exists on its own or by mistake. Everything, if it's there, is divine energy, which leads us to understanding that even in the worst bad, there has to be a reason. There has to be a cause for it and something there because nothing exists on its own. Nothing exists in a vacuum. Now, the divine energy that, that makes up each thing comes into those things in what form? What's the, what is the, um, the conduits for the divine energy into every different type of matter? the Hebrew letters of the name of that particular thing, right? We, we, we know that there's a tremendous significance to Hebrew names and Hebrew letters, not only names of people, names of things. This is a, t- a table. So most languages, the names are arbitrary. You just choose names to think. In, in Lashon Kodesh, it's called a holy tongue because the divine energy of a table comes through four letters, of Hashem's letters. Shulchan. He gave the names to all the animals. He saw their... Exactly. And that's what the Pasuk says by Adam Arishan. And the Medrash says that the Malachim didn't see the greatness of Adam until he named everything. Then they saw he's way beyond us. What's the big deal to name things? Because he wasn't just saying, you know, you're Jack and you're John. He was, he was seeing what is the divine energy of everything. That was the greatness of Adam Arishan. Did he give Chava her name too? Yes. Yes, sure. The Pasuk says. So Adam gave all the names. Um, and in fact, the Gemara says that there were certain great tzaddikim that when they saw a person with a certain name, they told you what, you know, what kind of person that is. It says Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is one of the great Tanoim of the Mishnah, right? Rabbi Meir was the, uh, the teacher of Rabbi Huda Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, the editor, the, the, the compiler of the Mishnah. The Gemara says Rabbi Meir Badik Bishma. Rabbi Meir would be Bodik. He would check the name of everything and then he would know about it from knowing its name. Because the name is the, is the divine, is the, the letters through which the divine energy come in for that particular thing. So this is what Hasidah says is the ultimate meaning of Hashem Echad. Not only that there's one God, not two. Not only that the godly Midos are unified like Chesed and Gevura or Racham and Medin, but that everything is part of that oneness of Hashem. Nothing has its own independent entity. Everything is an expression of Hashem. Human, not human, every aspect of creation is that, ex- that constant expression of Hashem's energy. Can you catch up one second to the letters? So this is Shulchan. What does that mean, the energies of the letters? What does that mean? Okay, so I don't know exactly what it means. That's a lot of Kabbalah behind all the energies of the names. A lot of Kabbalah and Hasidus. But... We're told that the 22 letters of the alphabet are 22 forms of divine energy. When they come together, so the way that they come together are different ways that those energies um, uh, become. Because when the shin is before the lamed versus the lamed before the shin, 
they're different. I'm, I'm, I'm missing a word. Nuances. Um, no, ways of putting together, like combinations. Combination, combinations. They're different combinations of those energy, and depending on the combination, it's a different energy. Not only that, in Hebrew we have gematria, and we have numerical value of letters, and we have different letters that are interchangeable one with the other. All of those are different combinations of the divine energy of those letters. So the Chav Beis Isis, the 22 letters, are 22 forms of energy. But they can be combined in billions or trillions of ways. And then you have Gematria, and then you have Chilufei Isis, the way letters are, are interchangeable. And that's what it's all about. All the powers of Hashem in this world through those, through, through those 22 letters. That's why all Bracha comes from, we say, uh, the number 22. So the Pasuk says, Becha Yivarech Yisrael. Through, through Bechaz, Chav Beis, it's the 22 letters, through that comes all bracha, all forms of bracha. Um, isn't, those there are, na- isn't there a name of a Kaddish Baruch who had, takes 22 letters also? No? Maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I could be, I don't know. I, I, don't, know all the, I, don't, I don't know all the names of Hashem. I don't know, I don't know. But there's, there's a tremendous amount about the letters. These are, this is the power of the Hebrew letters, which is very powerful. It seems like it should all be shameless. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, but you know. Can I throw out an Israeli newspaper? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the reasons. Yeah. They also say certain rabbis should use their Hebrew names. I heard like certain rabbis, if you go to a certain rabbi and you give the name of the chassan and the kala, you can tell from the names if it's supposed to be the right secret or not. Could very well be. Could be. Could be. Different energies and stuff like that. Now, this, so this is, in, in show. we can go on, on and on with this. Um, really, because when I say foundational, I don't know if there's another subject discussed more in Hasidus than Achdus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem, or Bittol Ha'ilumais, which means the, the nullification of all worlds to Hashem. Um, see, this could be like a very theoretical concept to talk about. But really, it's not theoretical at all. This is all about feeling our closeness to Hashem in everything that happens. And it's interesting... We say way back in davening, we discussed this many months ago. Um, if you remember, we said a little Shema before davening on page 17 in the Siddur. Before we even started Hodu, before Karbanos. We just say the first section of Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Right on page 14, 17 in the Chumash. Um, you might recall, I said then, what's the reason we have that there? Because initially, at some point in our history, there was a... Um, excuse me, a decree against saying the Shema in davening. So they snuck it in at the beginning. That's the reason why that's there. But we kept it there. But what do we say beforehand? Before we say the Shema on page 17, we have that paragraph that starts L'fichach, in which we say, Ashreinu, we're so fortunate, Matov Chalkeinu, how, how, how wonderful is our lot, Manoim Gerleinu, um, our, our, our portion, our lot, Mayafa Yerushaseinu, how great is our inheritance. What's the greatness of our inheritance? Every morning and night, we wake up and we say Shema Yisrael. What is it about Shema Yisrael that's the special inheritance that we have? Why is that called Mayafa Yerusha Senu? It's our Yerusha. And the author Rebbe says something very magnificent in Tanya, in the first section of Tanya, chapter 33. And he says like this, what? Like I said, there are a lot of things that we can sort of understand intellectually. We can discuss it and understand it, but we can't really relate to it because it's just, it's just something we don't relate to. 
There are things that one could understand with their mind and not relate to in their hearts. It's just too far removed from them. So it remains something interesting to discuss and detached. This concept of feeling the total achdus Hashem, to feel how everything in the world is totally unified with Hashem and everything is only an expression of Hashem and nothing is an independent existence. Is that something that a human being can really relate to and feel as a truth? Or is it only intellectual? It's something you can aspire to. Okay, but could we reach there? Could we reach the level that we could feel the oneness of Hashem? Says Hasidus, humanly, it's impossible. In other words, if we'd only be working with the human seichel, the, the knowledge, just, just, just plain um, intellectual power, then this would remain a, total, a totally removed intellectual concept. But a yid has the ability to feel this. Why? Not because of intellect. Not because, not because of intellect. A Jew is not smarter than anyone else on the block necessarily. But they have a part of Hashem within them. Godliness is not something that we're just learning about in a textbook. It's somewhere deep down in there, in our essence, who we are. So when we spend time and we think about Hashem, and we think about all these ideas that Hasidus tells us, about the oneness of Hashem, we have the ability that that intellect should connect with what we really feel. Because we know it and feel it even before our intellect got involved. So what we're really trying to do with our thinking about these things is to connect to a truth that we have within ourselves. Where do we have that from? Our Avais. And that's why it's called a Yerusha. Remember? Mayafa Yerusha Seinu. We have such a wonderful Yerusha. What's the Yerusha? Says Tanya, Achtas Hashem. The oneness of Hashem. What does it mean the oneness of Hashem is an inheritance? What's that supposed to mean? That means the ability for us to relate to this concept of the oneness of Hashem. The ability, the ability that for us it shouldn't just be something way out there, a, a nice intellectual concept to throw around, but that it should be meaningful to me. That yes, to be able to, some, in some sense, appreciate how Hashem is part of everything in my life and every day and every night and whatever happens, it's from Hashem. That is a Yerusha that we have because of the Chelek because of the part of Hashem that we have within ourselves from our Ovis. And therefore, these concepts don't have to remain just elusive intellectual ideas. Which is why, you might remember, I said last week something very interesting. Non-Jews also have the mitzvah to believe in God. It's one of the seven mitzvahs. But they don't have the mitzvah of believing in the oneness of God. Why not? Because it's not the Yerusha. Because they don't have that Yerusha. So it would just be a nice intellectual idea. Hashem doesn't command someone something that they're not able to really connect to. So therefore, when it comes to believing in God, everyone has the ability to believe in God and the responsibility and the obligation to believe in God. But this added step of not just believing in God, but to feel that oneness, to feel that Hashem in everything, to feel how everything is only an expression of Hashem, that can only truthfully be felt and therefore can only be expected from someone who has that part of Hashem within them. And that's the neshama of Yid. And that's why even halachically that a non-Jew does have the mitzvah of belief in Hashem doesn't have the mitzvah of knowing about the oneness of Hashem. I remember hearing something that that's why for Goyim, if they want to believe in the shitlis, 
like for Christianity is like supposedly three. It's not a sin for them because they still believe in God. Right, well, that's what we discussed that last year, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Here right, 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 right. But see, so you didn't have to be. You knew it already. Well, I heard that. <laughs> so it's interesting. Exactly, 100%. 100%. That's what it is. That's what it is. Now, the Alter Rebbe takes this, one more, one more part about this. The Alter Rebbe says, aside from the oneness of Hashem being important because we, we connect Hashem at every point, it's also important for a number of different reasons. And one of the more, most important ones is Simcha. He says, this can bring a person to the greatest Simcha. Why? If you believe Hashem is one, you mean? If you believe in this, if you, understand, if you feel... This concept of the oneness of Hashem that brings a person to great simcha. Sure. Because, Why? Because then I'm know, always with Hashem in also, whatever happens. And also, it, it frees you from anxiety. It frees me from anxiety. It frees me from worry. It frees me from anger. And I feel the ultimate closeness with Hashem. He says the ultimate closeness that one can feel with Hashem is through this mitzvah of achdus Hashem, because then. I'm with Hashem at every point, in every place, at every moment. I'm never alone. I'm never... I'm, everything that happens is all an expression of that. And he says... And he says in... Um, it's not, a lot of what I'm saying is from chapter 33 in Tanya. He says that, that the, the greatest simcha of a person he says, is to be with the king. If you have the great king and I could be with him. And he says, what if he, the king moves in into my home? He just moves in. He's just going to spend there. He says, what could be the greater, the greater simcha than the simple person who's just a regular person and the great king, the ultimate king, says, I'm taking up residence in your home. Says he, that's what happens. Hashem takes a residence in our head, in our mind, in our heart, when we contemplate on these things. And he says, that's the ultimate simcha that there can be. And he adds that aside from the great simcha that there is because Hashem is close to me, there's another thing that makes that should make me very besimcha. Because when I'm thinking about things in my mind and heart, it makes Hashem happy. Because Hashem wanted to dwell in our mind and hearts. Dear, Hashem created the world to dwell with us. When is He ultimately dwelling with us? When He's alive in my mind and my heart. That's when He's really with us. When I do a mitzvah, every mitzvah is great. Obviously, every mitzvah is a connection to Hashem, but it's not internal. I don't, I don't feel it necessarily. But when in my mind and heart, I'm able to feel how everything is with Hashem, and no matter what happens is with Hashem, then there's no such thing that I, that I would not be happy or I'd be, or be downcast or whatever. Hashem is with me exactly now, wherever I am, in whatever is happening to me. And that's a special, special madriga. I just want to say something psychological. Person that is psychologically shut down or numb, that is not connected at all with their feelings, this would be a very difficult one. A person is, I'm sorry? They're not well. Emotionally shut down or numb and psychologically not connected with their feelings at all. This would be a very difficult. Thing. 100%. They're not well. 100%. But that person has a lot of difficulties, not just with this mitzvah. Yeah. Relationships, people. I mean, this, this person has a lot of difficulties. Yeah, I'm just saying that there are a lot of people up there. Right. And, and, and people have to be helped, helped to be able to get in touch with their emotions, obviously. Obviously. But on the other hand, a person who works on this mitzvah is the happiest person in the world. You know, I, I have, you know, I think all of you know my, my uncle, Reb Shalom Rabashka, right, who I spent a number of hours with this week. I visited him on Friday. So he's like an example of a person who, 
All the cards are stacked against him. He's sitting already nine years in jail, separated from his wife and his kids and family. Craziest of stories. Just the story makes no sense. But, and again, I was there Friday with him for a couple of hours. You just walk out strengthened, inspired, and it's just an hour, two hours, three hours, another mice, another story, the, the thing that he's just learning and the people that he just met and the, and the, 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 the person in jail that he just got to make a bris. And the thing, you know, he's telling me about a new person. He, um, a new person who just uh, came in there, unfortunately, a young, young guy, 22 years old from California. Said, never had a shachis to Yiddish guy, a Jewish guy. He says, he puts on tefillin now, he learns with him chumash every day and Tanya, and they discuss things, and now he wears tzitzis and tefillin. It's just like... He's allowed to do all that, and he gets extra tefillin and extra tzitzis. He ha- his, his job there is to be in charge of the chapel. Cool. And he's, um, it's unbelievable. I'm just, one story follows the other, it's amazing. But I'm saying, my, my point is, I'm not trying to say all about him, but my, when a person lives with this concept of simcha, of Hashem is with me no matter what, no matter where. So nothing is going to bring me down. And it's hard. It's easier said than done. Much easier said than done. But this is the goal, to be able to understand this and be able to feel this. So it's, it's a tool of closeness to Hashem. It's a tool to simcha. And it's obviously a tool to humility. Right? It's not, it's when one realizes that they're always connected to Hashem, I'm not independent, I'm not my own thing, so it's, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Hashem. It's not about being an independent entity. You know, the Tzamach Tzedek, the third Rebbe, writes in his mitzvah discussing, in his Maimur discussing Achtas Hashem, he says, the whole Torah is really only about changing one letter from one word. He says, the Hebrew word is Ani. What does Ani mean? I. I. He does, the whole Avodah, he says, is you got to take the Yud from the end of Ani and put it into the middle of Ani. You just move it one ayin. letter. That's Ayin. Ayin is nothingness. It says, when I take the I, the independent me, and realize that I'm only an expression of Hashem, I'm not my own entity and a big deal and whatever, and that is the concept of humility. When I have that humility, and I have that simcha, I have that closeness to Hashem, then it's all made. And that's why this is the most central statement of our tefillah. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Achod. We call out to call Yisrael and to ourselves to reflect about this concept of that oneness of Hashem, how everything is merely an expression of Hashem, on all of these levels, the halachic level, the Zohar level, the Hasidus level, and how this will bring us to that greatest simcha, and that humility, and that, that constant connection to Hashem. Connection to Hashem. So you're supposed to have uh, simcha and humility together. Yes, yes. That's cool. Because simcha and humility are really come totally together. Huh? Because simcha and humility are totally... A person who's not humble can never really be the simcha. A person who's into themselves is never happy. They never have enough. And there's always... They should be getting more. A person who is humble, a person who's not into just being more myself, more myself, but I realize that I'm connected to something so much greater. And that something so much greater is part of me. We're not talking about humility, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. We're talking about I'm an expression of Hashem. It's the opposite. But going back to psychology, there are people who do have certain... really have personality disorders and it's very difficult like narcissism and stuff like that. That's true. You know, it's just... <laughs> so what was your last thing? Well, Hashem, needs, Hashem needs to give psychologists parnasa. <laughs> 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 Imagine if everyone would be healthy. You said humility the Torah needs to be part of the with Hashem. Hashem. You said humility with Hashem. Yes. No, humility is not that I'm nothing, I'm not important. Humility is that I'm an expression of Hashem. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's the ultimate strength. 
Humility is not from smallness. It's from being connected to something so much greater than what I could ever be. It's just not about my self-independence. So you don't self. get caught up in the kochi Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, well, let me just say, uh, we took up our whole uh, share on this, which is fine. But at the same is, time, you have to make your hishtadlus. Without a doubt, without a doubt. <laughs> it's a little bit of balancing act there. Let's just talk about one more idea before we finish, which is after we say... There's so much to talk about. Um, you know what? We'll talk about another... Before I say that idea, I'll say another idea. Um, in the Shema, you might notice that there's two letters that are bigger than the others. Right? The ayin of Shema and the echad of Dalit. What does ayin Dalit spell? An aid, odd, but also an aid. An aid is a witness. And when we're saying this, we are the witnesses of Hashem in this world. We're testifying. We're testifying to the oneness of Hashem. In other words, Hashem created a huge world and billions of people and animals and everything. And he created his kindelach, the Yidin, to be the edus for Hashem in this world. We are, with our davening, with our shema, with our avoda, we are the ones who are bringing that realization into the entire world. Right? The truth of the oneness of Hashem is a truth. But who teaches it to the world? Who has the ability to relate to it and be the witness for it? That's Kalal Yisrael. And that's why we're that, uh, we're that aid, the witnesses for Hashem. Now, in knowing Hashem... There's two ways. There's understanding it with our minds and even deeper than when we're able to start seeing it in the world. When we understand something enough that we start seeing it in everything around us. And the ayin and the dalid. Ayin is what? An eye. And dalid is das. Ayin is the eyes that we want to train ourselves to be able to see godliness in everything. And das is through using our understanding and our logic and learning about it. The more we think about it, the more we see it in the world around us, right? Um, a person wakes up in the morning and opens the window and sees, wow, look what Hashem created today. Now, really, they didn't see Hashem. They just saw sunrise. But the more I learned and understood, the more I'm able to see it in everything that goes on in the world. So the das leads into the seeing it. And together, we use our minds to understand, and then we see it in the world and in people around us, and we see Hashem in everything that we do. After the Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, we move on to the next Pasuk, which is Baruch Shein Kvod Malchus Elohim Vod, which we discussed once upon a time, is not actually from the Torah, that Pasuk, right? Really, the way it's written in the Torah is you have Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Echad, then straight Va'ahavta. And that, that first, from Shema to Levisharecha, straight out of the Parsha. And we interject that line, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus Elohim Vod. So let me, for now, I'll leave you just with the simple meaning of that. And Blinader, in our next class, we'll discuss Kabbalistically what's the Baruch Shem doing here. But on a simple level... Isn't that the Malachim are saying that? It says that as well. But before that, the Gemara says that the first time this Pasuk was said was by Yaakov Avinu. When and where... So, it was at the end of Yaakov Avinu's life, in the Torah portion of Vayichi, and he gathered his children, and he wanted to talk to them, but he felt that the Shechina wasn't with him. And he was concerned maybe his children weren't all tzaddikim. And he had good reason to fear, because he knew Avram's children weren't all tzaddikim, and Yitzchak's children weren't all tzaddikim. And he had 12, so they all looked good, but who knows what's going on inside. So Yaakov asked them, 
He says, are all of you with me? Well, he was angry at Shimon and Levi. That's for something specific. But as far as their belief in Hashem, as far as their devotion to Hashem and to Torah, so he asked them, what's in your hearts? So all of the children answered with what verse? Shema Yisrael. And what did it mean when they said it? Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael. Who's Yisrael? Our father, you. They're talking to their father Yisrael. Hashem Elokeinu. Yes, we're all in. We're all in on this. It's our God. Hashem Echad is one God for all of us. When Yaakov heard his sons say that statement of belief. No, 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 no. This is a medrash. So when Yaakov heard his son say this, he responded and said, like we would say, Baruch Hashem. Except he said, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuso Le'olam So he's the one who said that pasuk. It was a response to the Shvatim. The Shvatim said, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lokin Hashem Achad, this is our God, this is the one God. And he said, blessed be the name of Hashem forever that all of my sons have, have carried on in my way. So here, in the Torah then it was written without that pasuk. But on the other hand, Yaakov said it. But in the Torah didn't say it. So that's why the Chazal instituted that we say it silently. We say it softly because, again, on the one hand, it's not part of the actual Parsha. It's something separate. But on the other hand, it was said by Yaakov Avinu, his statement of, of thanking Hashem for this amuna of his children. So we say it in an undertone. Another concept, it says in Medrashim, and that's what you mentioned, is that the Malachim say Baruch Shem That's their special praise. And we'll discuss why. But that's their special praise. So we, that's another reason why we say it in an undertone, because it's really their tefillah. And, you know, we don't want to get them upset at us. <laughs> so their tefillah. And that's the reason why on Yom Kippur, when we're on some level like malachim, so then we say it loud one time a year, because then we're saying, yeah, we're doing the malachim's tefillah as well. Yeah, of course. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great event. Right? Right? So that's that. But Kabbalistically, there's a lot more about Shema and Baruch Shem, and that's what we'll, we'll start with next week, God willing. Okay? Very good. Um, and this week is, of course, all today's class especially was a straight Hasidus, basically, and this week.